Previously on Transformers University, we took a look at the first 15 issues of the Marvel US run in the Transformers comics continuity. And now, we kick off 1986 by taking a look at issues 16 through 19. We delve deeper into the Transformers mythos right now on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to episode 57 of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman, behind TFU.info, the Toy Archive, this podcast, the social media, and more. And today, we are returning to the U.S. run of the Marvel Comics, and we're going to touch on uh, four issues today in issues 16 through 19. Now, before we get on to the comics, first, I just want to give a big shout out to uh, Mike Seibert of Mike Seibert Radio Podcast. Uh, he joined the Patreon at the super senior level and uh, is uh, now part of our student body there, which is now up to 18 uh, patrons. And at 25, we uh, we hit our first major milestone, and I will go back and start re-editing a few of these episodes into full-fledged uh, video editions uh, front to back. So that said, uh, one more thing about the Patreon. If you aren't on the Patreon, please swing on by to patreon.com slash TFU info. Uh, you can sign up for as little as $1 a month. That means if seven more of you sign up at $1 a month, uh, I have to uh, go through with the first uh, milestone goal. And uh, you can sign up for more. I certainly won't argue with you. But uh, that is uh, where you can do it. And uh, one more thing, I just want to give a shout out to all of our sophomores and above. That is the $2 level over at our Patreon. And a quick note on that, I had to change uh, some of the rewards there due to Patreon's rules regarding contests and giveaways. So uh, everyone at the sophomore level and up gets a bonus entry, an automatic entry uh, in, in to any of our social media giveaways. Uh, just recently, we gave away a Bumblebee movie prize pack from our friends over at Paramount Pictures. We also have given away a Bumblebee Steelbook DVD uh, Blu-ray. Also from our friends over at Paramount Pictures and uh, all of our patrons from the sophomore level and up uh, did get a bonus entry. Plus, if they did any of the things that uh, were asked on social media, they were entered that way as well. Now, uh, if you are on the social media and uh, you are a sophomore or higher, you still get those bonus entries. I just can't write it on the Patreon because uh, it is against Patreon's uh, policies, but it's not against mine. So uh, that is one thing. Uh, it's a little secret uh, reward for all of our patrons uh, at the $2 and up level. Now, and that's enough Patreon talk for now. We are going to get into these issues. We're going to start with issue 16. Uh, this one has a really sweet cover uh, by Herb Trimpey, and uh, it's called Bumblebee's Last Stand. Uh, if you've seen the cover, it is Bumblebee getting uh, shot up by a bunch of uh, Decepticons, uh, holes through them. It's, uh, it's a really dramatic, really dramatic cover. Um, and this one takes place uh, just before, if you heard our last episode, uh, which was on the uh, Marvel UK side of the Transformers comic stories, this one takes place just before all of the events we covered last issue. 
the rest of the stories we're covering today take place just after all of the uh, events we've covered last episode. Now, something to note about this issue, uh, it is a fill-in issue. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with a fill-in issue in Marvel, uh, every so often the production teams get a little bit behind or something happens uh, where deadlines cannot be met. And so um, some of the assistant editors, some of the people uh, in the uh, Marvel bullpen who are uh, working their way up, they get a shot to do a book. They get a shot to write or draw or whatever it may be. And this particular comic um, features a ton of future Marvel legends, um, future comic book legends, really, uh, on this one. So the writer for this issue is Len Kaminsky. Uh, he was the writer on the Avengers and Iron Man uh, throughout the 90s, a big chunk of the 90s. He was a uh, co-creator of War Machine with Kev Hopgood, who we talked about in the previous Marvel Comics episode. Pencils on this issue by Graham Nolan. Now, Graham Nolan was a longtime artist for Marvel and DC and created uh, a supervillain for DC known as Bane. So, yes, he was the co-creator of the Batman villain, Bane. Inks here by Tom Morgan, also a longtime artist for Marvel in DC. Letters by Bill Oakley. He was the letterer on the first two volumes of Alan Moore's The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And uh, Bill Oakley has since passed uh, in 2004, but uh, it's interesting to know. So he... Um, he could not afford health insurance uh, due to pre-existing condition laws that existed in the United States at the time. So uh, he was penciling up until his death from his uh, deathbed uh, while he was uh, suffering from cancer uh, in 2004. So he was still working from his hospital bed uh, until he passed away at the young age of 39. Finally, uh, the rest of the group, a uh, bunch of familiar faces here. Colors by Nell Yamtov, edits by Mike Carlin, and uh, your editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter. Now, this book opens with a splash page of uh, Bumblebee the toy, uh, kind of done as like a, a spec drawing scene on a computer. And uh, that was done by Elliot Brown. And Elliot Brown was kind of Marvel's um, technical drawing artist uh, in the uh, 80s and 90s. So he drew us uh, a book such as uh, Punisher Armory that kind of broke down all of his weapons. He drew uh, the Iron Manual, which broke down how the suits work. Uh, so if there was a book that covered anything like that, and I know they did them for the X-Men, they did them throughout you know the 80s and 90s for Marvel, uh, it was probably Elliot Brown drawing those. So this book starts with a the computer scan of Bumblebee, as we mentioned, uh, and it is his toy design. And Shockwave is planning to control Bumblebee with um, electro uh, calcinator module. This is used uh, in his brain to control him because the Insecticons have not shown up in the U.S. book yet, so you do not have Bombshell and his Cerebro shells. Um, back at Autobot headquarters, Optimus is watching the news and fears that Transformers may be interfering too much with humanity and then wonders where Bumblebee is. Bumblebee is outside, kind of watching what Optimus is doing, and is incredibly paranoid. And in, in his uh, self-loathing, he decides to run away from home. Um, during that course of running away, he is spotted by Laserbeak, and Laserbeak's name is misspelled with a Z. 
the Decepticons attack, Laserbeak Buzzsaw, the Seekers, and Shockwave, and Bumblebee takes a beating. He gets shot up and flees and hides in a used car lot in vehicle mode. Does this sound familiar? Um, it makes me wonder if uh, uh, this book itself wasn't part of the catalyst behind the scripts for the original uh, 2007 Michael Bay film. Later that night, Bumblebee gets stolen by a couple of uh, uh, thugs, I guess is the best way to call it. Uh, but he's not at full power. And while he's not at full power, he can't transform. And he can't talk. Hmm. Bumblebee can't talk. Where have we seen that before? All right. So from here, the uh, Autobots see the attack on the news and they head out to the rescue. While Bumblebee is being driven around by these thugs, um, they end up in a drag race with someone on the street, and Bumblebee wins. Uh, so his his uh, Volkswagen Beetle beats out a very fancy sports car. The thieves that we meet are named uh, Waldo and Ernest. Uh, they take Bumblebee to a garage, and uh, they end up fixing Bumblebee uh, enough so that he can recharge. Uh, in their course of tinkering around inside of him. Uh, so Bumblebee gets attacked by the Decepticons again, and the police and the military now begin to join the chase. Uh, the Decepts shoot down a, a military plane, and Bumblebee transforms to take on the Decepticons. The Autobots intervene with the police, uh, well, alongside of the police, I should say, and scare off the Decepticons, and Bumblebee realizes his home is with the Autobots. And the end. So it's a story that doesn't have much repercussion uh, within uh, the continuity. You can go from issue 15 to 17 and not really have missed anything. And that's kind of the point of a fill-in issue. It's to kind of tell a one-off story that can live uh, outside of the numbering system for the most part. So that takes us to issue 17, uh, The Smelting Pool. Uh, this is uh, UK issues 66 through 67, and we return to our regular creative team here. Writers Bob Budiansky, pencils by Don Perlin, inks by Keith Williams, letters by Janice Chang, colors once again, Nell Yamtov, edits by Mike Carlin, and this cover uh, of Blaster falling into the uh, smelting pool, which is also UK's uh, number 66, covers by Herb Trimpey, UK's 67 cover, by John Higgins. So, uh, the smelting pool is the title on the uh, the front of the book, but uh, inside the issue's title is called "Return to Cybertron Part One." And for more on this issue, we are going to toss it to my friend Gabriel Owens, the Salty Sea Man. Hey folks, Salty Seaman here. A uh, couple corrections as I, uh, I submit this to Ant. In my excitement rereading this, I, I made a few mistakes. So I'll go ahead and correct this at the beginning. I, I call uh, Scrounge Scourge quite a few times my mistake. And I call the smelting uh, pool the smelting pit. Six of one half, dozen of the other. And Spanner is a neutral scientist, not an Autobot scientist. So go ahead and correct those at the beginning. But otherwise, uh, yeah, let's get into this ish. Today I'm looking at uh, Transformers uh, G1 original run. Issue 18, Return to Cybertron. 
this was such a, if you were a comic fan in the eighties, the if you read the comic as well as watch the cartoon, this was a huge deal. Like this is the one you, you found out like who, who read the comic and who didn't at school, because this is one everyone talked about. You know, I think, I think a lot of people who only picked up a handful of issues here and there, like found these and, you know, th- th- this was a big exciting moment because, you know, it was the first time the comic ever really uh, did anything with Cybertron other than like briefly in the first issue and just them talking about it, essentially. Uh, we actually come back and we see how the war is going. Uh, and it's a, it's a very stark, different picture than Cybertron, which appears to be mostly abandoned, especially at first. And then eventually we get... Uh, you know, we, we find out, you know, there's female Autobots, there's Shockwave, there's, I mean, there was always a few Seekers around, Alpha Trion, but, you know, we, that's about all we see, and, and, and just Sentries and Guardians, you know, it seems to be a pretty dead planet in the cartoon, and here we see, uh, you know, right starting off in the cart, in the, uh, the comic, you know, they're sticking to their story about, you know, uh, Cybertron being a starless uh, planet of, uh, swinging through the universe. And then I think after that, it becomes, I think fairly vague what exactly their orbital pattern is. I think eventually someone told them that it probably wouldn't be feasible. I think, cause I think the original story is like, it's the size of Saturn or Jupiter. And I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure some of our more physics minded friends like, uh, Steve-O or DVD could tell you exactly why that wouldn't work. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> The, but we show we see a we see battles going on. Uh, you know this this issue introduces a lot of a huge amount of lore. And right off the bat, you know we're seeing uh, in the comic we see generic uh, transformers getting uh, attacked by other generic transformers, non named characters. Um, it's kind of a generic design. You know right right away it starts like this is different. This is you know. The, the, the pull was like really bringing you into a Cybertron story. And if you're really looking for that in your Transformers, which, you know, obviously I was and a lot of other people were like these two, this issue and the follow-up issue were, you know, groundbreaking at the time. So let's, uh, let's delve into it a little bit, shall we? So right off the bat, we have uh, the Decepticons attacking a group of, uh, a non affiliate this is the first time we see the idea of non-affiliated transformers, non-autobot, non-decepticons. I know the issue will eventually uh, call them neutrals. And we see like you know they the Decepticons think nothing of them other than you know as a source of raw material. So uh, you know deciding to sit out the war as a, a non-combatant does not seem to be working for these neutrals. Of course later much much later in the recent couple of years, you know we've got the term nail. Which actually is kind of uh, which is a, a rude term to be. It becomes like a rude, like uh, you know, slur, but it stands for non-affiliated life form, non-affiliated intelligent life, whatever. Uh, I think anyway, it's a, it's a good term. I, and I always like I use neutral as a kid. Uh, one of the end at the time. I mean, I don't know if anyone's done anything with canon in this, but uh, one one of the poor Transformers who gets uh, sucked up into these Decepticon like scavenger thing is named Rotorbolt. Which eventually we would get a name, a name transformer, using that name. Uh, we don't think I don't know if we ever got a tell us. However, that's specifically called a harvester unit, and this is uh, of course we'll later see is uh, the machinations of a, uh, a 
uh, henceforth unseen uh, Decepticon warlord. Uh, then the issue cuts to uh, we see we we meet Blaster for the first time in the comics, and he has the more of more of the toy design with the face. He didn't get the the friendly face look over, and it's a different Blaster from the uh, definitely from the cartoon. Uh, this is pre him going to Earth and discovering Earth music, but he is definitely more of a grim warrior uh, soldier type in the comics. You know, he would eventually they'd flesh out his personality like his text back in the cartoon. He is a fan of music and and, and Earth culture and such. But, uh, you know, it's definitely not the driving part of his personality in the comic. And especially the part of Cybertron where there is no that part of his personality. He's just a grim communication soldier and he's working for a really what seemed to be a almost lost cause of the Autobots versus Decepticons. Uh, we see Blaster witness uh, Decepticon uh, attack on the uh, on a, on a non-affiliated uh, bot here. He's uh, just shooting at him for fun, being cruel. He also names him a Decepticon Hunter Seeker Skyship, which is a, which is a big mouthful. Uh, but you know, another uh, early uh, use of the term Seeker, at least in there, and Hunter Seeker. I uh, was also used in the earlier issues, and uh, I think some advertising, which is why. The fandom eventually used the term Seekers, and which is still used to this day, both officially and unofficially. Uh, Blaster uh, says, decides to be a good Autobot and interfere, and uh, blasts him. We see his gun, the Electro Scrambler, which uh, he uses more for its pow- stated powers in the uh, comic than I think in the cartoon. They he uses it once or twice as advertised, and otherwise it's just a he's a dude with a blaster. Ha ha. But uh, very nice. He, he, he scrambles the Decepticon, uh, crashes him, saves the little dude. He goes about his business. In the meantime, Blaster's been waiting for this guy, uh, his Autobot partner, this dude named Scrounge. Uh, this is uh, very interesting how, uh, you know, in the bigger picture, what a big kind of fan favorite character he had. He only exists until very recently in this, I believe, in this one uh this one issue of Transformers G1. Uh, maybe some of the later comics brought him in. I don't, none that I'm aware of. I mean, Ant can correct me if I'm wrong there. But yeah, he did recently get a toy in the, uh, I believe it was the Aerial Bots uh, a toy group. Or was it Technobots? Anyway, he has a toy. It came out with all the uh, the combiner toys and he's like just this little, kind of almost an accessory. But very, very cool you know, the, just this kind of the heart, the cult fandom this little guy got from this one issue. Now, basically, the story is, you know, he, you know, Blaster's communication bot. You know, he's he's good. He's part of. He's a scouter. Scrounge is like a, also same thing. He's a little smaller. He turns into a wheel. Uh, he's a very very almost GoBot design to them. A lot of the non toy ones do have like just these very basic robot designs. Scrounge gets a bit more. He's yellow. It's got kind of a, I would almost call it a Buck Rogers kind of face. And, uh, you know, he has, he has these two special, uh, you know, kind of, kind of his, his, his deal here, which be almost became a meme in the fandom. You know, he has the wire guided audio and video receptors in his fingers. It's a special power. No one else has anything like it. 
But uh, Scrounge is uh, trying to find an Autobot scientist named Spanner, another non-toy, non-other figure. Uh, I, I think he, I think he eventually got a to- got a toy of some sort too, or at least they used the name. Uh, but you know, not, not near the uh, the level of, of fandom that Mister Scrounge here has. But another another example of you know what this comic provided. Uh, she also mentioned like you know they bring up uh, you know time units. Uh, Never get used anywhere outside, I think, the G1 comic, but, uh, you know, Vorns and Breams, you know, Breams is a time, you know, time and, uh, Vorns are, uh, years, uh, and, you know, there's like a, an equivalent math in the comic you can, uh, go look up if you want to, like, actually calculate Vorns and Breams versus, uh, minutes and, uh, and years. So he's spying on them. We get we we get shrapnel working with a couple of un, of uh, generic Decepticons. Uh, it, Scourge gets a lot of juicy information, but as he's retracting his hands, uh, he he hits uh, a pipe or a, a cable in the uh, the shaft, sets off the alarm. Uh, reports back to Blaster. He says uh, he's, he's got some some great uh, information. Uh, the information uh, we'll, get, we'll get to in a minute, but uh, it, it is, you know, this is very important. He's trying to get back to Blaster. So it's like, I'll be there in uh, two breams. There's good stuff like, uh, you know, last time you, uh, you know, you thought you had some good information. It turned, you thought Straxus was dying. We get Straxus here name dropped, who's the uh, Septicon Warlord currently ruling Cybertron. But all he had was a rust spot rash. Another bit of fun lore. Uh, we see uh, uh, Scourge goes through uh, like kind of the, the the bad the bad part of town of Cybertron, dead end, uh, home of the empties, Polyhex's most wretched citizens, and it's basically like homeless and beat up bots just kind of hanging around. Uh, and then uh, Shrapnel uh, finds him and captures him. Uh, Blaster kind of weirded out. He doesn't show up. He doesn't call. He returns to his Hidden Autobot bases, hidden under like a bunch of garbage. So you can tell how good the Autobots are doing at this point. And then we get kind of a, a new character roll call here, new new to the comics. Uh, Power Glide, Cosmos, Sea Spray, Warpath, Beachcomber, and the leader of the Autobots, Perceptor, which is, uh, yeah, that, that, that's that, an odd pairing. Uh, Perceptor says, you know, he... Blaster wants to go find Scourge. Perceptor says, nah, we got better things to do and go find that uh, idiot who, you know, says he has something important and it never turns out to be true. He probably got caught by the Perceptor. Perceptor is like callous and mean. He's just, he's, 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 he's blasting on Scourge as being kind of useless. He doesn't believe anything he has is worth its time. He's probably already dead. I'm not wasting my good warriors on him. Wow. What a dick Perceptor kind of is in the comic. So Blaster doesn't really listen, and of course he ends up, uh, he's going to go uh, find Scr- Scrounge. Now here comes like one of the big, uh, I think one of, one of the, like just, I, I don't think they use it, return to it enough in the, just the idea of the smelting pit, which is what we get here. And it's basically, the, I mean, they are literally just, I mean, it is like, it is a horrific sight. These are living beings, like they're, these harvesters just scooping up bodies and throw, I mean, they're not just like going after like raw materials. Like they go after living creatures and dump them in here and melt them down to their component parts. 
It seems mightily wasteful just to have this giant pit, but what do I know? Uh, uh, we go by and see these see this like horrific Holocaust going on. Shrapnel brings in uh, Scrounge, who gives up ends up in front of Straxus again, non 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 toy character. Uh, you see the, the the characters that you knew weren't going to be around long. You uh, you kind of figured out because you know you didn't have toys. Spanner, Scourge, uh, Straxus here. But we meet a couple handful of new Decepticons, Ramjet, Dirge, Thrust, and the rest of the Insecticons. Uh, we see Straxus just straight up kill some dudes for uh, no apparent reason. Uh, and then we get uh, Straxus briefly interrogating Scrounge, rips off his special arm that there's no other like it. He says, now there's none like it. He crunches the arm, leaves it on the floor. Shrapnel takes Scrounge off to go to the pit. Uh, we get the, uh, it looks like the, the Autobots have come along. They're asking people in uh, Dead End. They've seen the guy. Uh, they, they, brob, they bribe a, a bum. Uh, he tells them, you know, Shrapnel took him off. Septicon, Shrapnel ca- took, captured him, took him off to uh, Dark Mount. I think this is the first issue that Dark Mount has also uh, name dropped in. It would show up again later in, in different comics or different uh, uh, canon uh, Perceptor's not says no way we're not going near that place. Blaster says nope. I'm gonna go rescue my buddy, and he just straight up charges the smelty pit like uh, Blaster's. Blaster's a pretty big badass here. Now uh, we get a bit of Straxus uh, talking to Shrapnel. They got kind of got Blaster hostage here. They send him the smelty pit. Where do he wants to go? And he's determined not to actually fall in and grasp the sides. He eventually finds. A lip to walk along. Seems like a poor design as well. Finds, uh, finds, uh, Scrounge. You know, Scrounge is like, nope, I'm dead. You know, might as well go. Or Scrounge is like, just barely, just a torso, an arm, and a head. Power Glide comes to the rescue. He says like, hey, I'm not gonna let you hang back here. Get screwed. Drops down a lifeline. He tries to pull out Scrounge. To no avail. He, he loses his grip. But Scrounge manages to get the uh, the data tape to Blaster the last minute as he slowly dies in the slut. This like this was a man. This 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 was some hard hitting stuff at the time. Uh, we cut back to the Autobots are uh, been have been holding uh, the rest of the Decepticons uh, at bay. We got Cosmos, Sea Spray, and uh, Warpath. Uh, we get. So weird shadow here. I guess that's kind of weird. I guess it's this beachcomber is silhouette at the bottom of uh, one of the pages. We see all the Autobots flying away to uh, their, you know, in their Cybertronian modes. Uh, beachcomber kind of looks like Cup in silhouette. That's pretty interesting. We get all the also the new Decepticons come flying at them. There's a big battle. Uh, Blaster manages to defeat them, pulling using their own slag from the smelting pit on them. And they manage to escape with the information. Uh, Perceptor pops it in, and it's Soundwave's message that he sent off from Earth in issue 10, you know, trying to get a hold of uh, the Cybertronian Decepticons, which, you know, it's always like, hey, this is Earth. We want to plunder it, blah, blah, blah. Megatron's down here. But unfortunately, we got a problem Optimus Prime and a bunch of Autobots. So, of course, there's a great celebration. The great Optimus Prime lives. Uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, it proves the scrounge is worth, 
you know, his last mission uh, did provide, uh, you know, some of the best information they could have got. So uh, really, really fun issue, really, really intense. Uh, yeah, I guess it would have been nine around when this came out and I read it. I think I read, like, I think I read it in digest form. I think I missed the original issues when they came out. So I think I read this, like, they came out like a digest with both issues. And yeah, yeah, I'm reading it over and over again. I just couldn't believe the, just, just the, the, for me at the time, there's kind of the maturity of the storyline, you know, it's, it's really death and destruction and war and the planet's so dark, you know, and, you know, you have these characters in the cartoon are kind of bright and bubbly and kind of funny, you know, Blaster and Perceptor and whatnot. And they're, you know, <laughs> hardened warriors, uh, you know, on Cybertron, uh, we get Straxus and, you know, so much, this issue would create so much lore in the Transformers. It's still used to this day. I'm sure, uh, Ant will cover what I missed there, but, uh, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite issues as a kid, still a little shocking going back and rereading some of the stuff they did in that. Uh, definitely one of the better Budansky, uh, issues I'd say. And it's follow-up. That's all I got back to you, Ant. And you can catch Gabe's, channel the salty cmen over on youtube please go check him out uh it's a lot of fun so uh, a couple things he touched on that i just want to uh continue on with time so we talk about breams and vorns uh one bream is 8.3 uh minutes so that is eight minutes and 20 seconds uh so when blaster says he's been waiting for 12 breams for scrounge that is 99 minutes and 40 seconds. Vorns uh, equal 83 Earth years. So one Vorn is an, is 83 years. Uh, when they talk about 50,000 Vorns, uh, we're talking about 4.15 million years. Scrounge uh, does transform into a wheel and uh, radios to blaster. Uh, we do get a bit of geography here at Polyhex. The Decepticon Fortress is Darkmount. Uh, that is where the smelting pool is. And uh, we also get a bit of brutality from Straxus. Uh, Straxus actually cleaves two empties in half when they ask for mercy. Uh, another thing to note, when Powerglide arrives to rescue uh, Blaster, he is in his Cybertronian form, as are the... Uh, rest of uh, the minibots, as Gabe mentioned. And yeah, I wrote down too that uh, Beachcomber really does look like Cup in uh, his Cybertronian vehicle mode. But these are ones that often get forgotten when we talk about Cybertronian modes. Uh, often it's the characters from the first episode of uh, More Than Meets the Eye in the uh, original cartoon series, first three-parter. Uh, but there are a whole bunch here in the comic as well. Now, finally, uh, there... It's worth noting uh, a number of these characters from this particular issue have gotten toys over the years. Uh, Straxus uh, got a figure in the Generations line and actually appears currently in the Transformers Earth Wars game uh, in that same body. Uh, Ferak was a uh, Botcon exclusive figure made from uh, the Universe Cyclonus toy. And Scrounge, uh, which by the way, I trolled the BotCon survey with every year from like 2004 on uh, to do a BotCon exclusive scrounge because I just thought they're never going to do this. 
And uh, they didn't, but Hasbro did uh, as part of the Combiner Wars uh, Computron gift set. They took a Cosmos uh, figure, put the scrounge head on it, painted it yellow, and instead of being a flying saucer, he was a wheel because you just turn it on its side. And that uh, wraps up issue 17. And that takes us to part two of Return to Cybertron. Issue 18 of the Marvel US comic, part two of Return to Cybertron, known as The Bridge to Nowhere, written by Bob Budiansky, pencils by Don Perlin, inks by Keith Williams and Vince Coletta. And we got to talk a little bit about Vince Coletta. Uh, this is his first time on Transformers book, uh, and he is a famous Silver Age inker. I should say he was. Uh, he did pass away uh, back in 1991. Uh, he was a very fam uh, famous Silver Age inker, notable for working with Jack Kirby. Uh, this includes uh, inks on Fantastic Four Annual Number 3, which was the wedding of Reed Richards and Susan Storm, uh, and also a run on uh, Thor with Kirby, uh, where I believe uh, Hercules was introduced for the first time. Uh, but he uh, was a very well-known and very often used inker at Marvel. And the reason he was used a lot was he was known for being very fast, uh, even at the expense of the art, sometimes erasing or taking out um, pencils that were in the background of some of these images. Um, some saw it as lazy, such as artist Steve Ditko, who could not stand uh, Vince Coletta, uh, so much so that when uh, he would get free comics at the Marvel office, the, you know, the books were always there, and uh, Ditko would actually read uh, what was there. You know, that's how you catch up on everything. And anything that Coletta uh, inked, he would put in the garbage can and uh, made sure that Stan Lee would see them. Um, but from... Coletta's perspective, and uh, some people uh, would understand this, that the implications of being on time were much more important because if the book is stalled or if the book is late, the book is not getting to the colorist, it is not getting to the letterer, uh, both of which have to do their work in order to get paid, in order to put food on the table for their families, etc. Um, he was also very close with editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. And when Jim Shooter was fired uh, later on, which we will get to, uh, Vince Coletta had written uh, a profanity-filled letter uh, to uh, the Marvel brass uh, after that firing. And I will not read that here, but you can certainly search that one out online. Uh, it is uh, scathing, to say the least. Now, the rest of this book <laughs> was... Uh, once again, letters by Janice Chang, colors by Nell Yamtov, edits by Mike Carlin, cover, once again, by Herb Trimpey, and this one it features Blaster and Straxus fighting it out on the Space Bridge, and that would also be the cover for UK 69. 69, dudes! Which was uh, the second half of the story there. The first half of the story there uh, features a cover by Phil uh, Gascoigne, who is another artist we have not talked about, and this cover has actually uh, got uh, uh, a sphere in the middle that's half Earth and half Cybertron, and kind of has the 
has the heads of the important players on both the Autobots and Decepticon sides on Earth and Cybertron. This was actually the first of several covers for Marvel UK's uh, Transformers run by uh, Gascoigne. He was an artist for DC and Marvel. He doesn't have a lot of work to his credit, but he did work on a lot of um, licensed properties, such as Action Force and Thundercats. Uh, he worked on the Marvel book Dark Hawk, and he was the penciler and inker on a Punisher graphic novel called Die Hard in the Big Easy. All right, so this one starts with a pair of humans driving in the woods, and they stumble upon a bridge that only extends halfway out. This is the Space Bridge, um, and it is a literal bridge in the comics, whereas in the cartoon it was more of a portal. This one is totally a actual physical bridge. On Cybertron, the Decepticons are attempting to cross the bridge from the other side, and they get disintegrated. The first one to cross, uh, we find out his name was Crosscut, and that's not to be confused with a character we will meet many, many years from now known as Crosscut. Straxus demands another go through the bridge, uh, and that character also dies. Shrapnel contacts Spanner, the scientist they kidnapped to uh, develop the space bridge, and he says there is a fuel line malfunction. Uh, Blaster is spying on this own thing in his Cybertronian mode, which is kind of like this little video relay station. It's uh, pretty neat. And Power Glide picks him up, and they head back to the Autobot base. Blaster wants to find Spanner and rescue him. Perceptor chooses to destroy the space bridge over finding Spanner. In eastern Wyoming, uh, Donnie Finkelberg, the robot master, is annoyed with the Decepticons, and uh, Shockwave arrives and is about to fight Megatron for leadership. Um, and this is important because if you remember in the Marvel UK book, uh, they've already had this argument about fighting for leadership, and in fact, the text in the UK versions of this book is uh, changed to reflect that, so it doesn't seem like they're about to fight for leadership. Um, this argument is interrupted by a holographic message from Straxus about the space bridge. Um, the robot master realizes he must warn the Autobots. Uh, back on Cybertron, Perceptor's Autobots tunnel below Dark Mount to set explosives, and we get names of two bots that we don't know exactly um, what they look like. We do know they turn into uh, drill tanks, more or less, and that is Corkscrew and Borbit. And when they reach the surface, they get attacked by Decepticons. Uh, the explosions destroy uh, the tower at Darkmount, and Straxus transforms into a space cannon to find who did this. Um, you know, it's kind of thematic here that uh, Decepticon leaders here turn into guns, and more importantly, space flying guns. So you have Megatron, okay, he does turn into an, an actual handgun. Uh, but Shockwave is a flying space gun in the comics, and now Straxus, also a um, space cannon of some sort, Galvatron in the movies, uh, also a space cannon. Actually, Straxus's vehicle mode here, uh, very, very similar to that of Galvatron. Straxus realizes this is all a distraction because Blaster is going to blow up the space bridge at the bridge, and until he hears a voice. And that voice is the bridge itself as it transforms and talks it is Spanner. Uh, he has been built into the bridge because bridges span over things, hence the name Spanner. Uh, he just wants to die. What's he saying? He says, kill me. 
over and over again, kill me. So the Decepticons realize the ruse, Shrapnel and Strax's head to the bridge, and Shrapnel activates the bridge. The fight spills over onto the bridge, and they realize that the edge of the bridge is uh, touching interdimensional space. And if you fall off the sides of the bridge, you die instantly. And for more on uh, the fight scenes and just this issue in itself, I'm going to toss this over to one of our newest Patreon students, and that is John Schaefer Hames of the Married with Comics podcast. When you're talking in terms of expanding the scope of the Transformers story, a lot of people's thoughts are going to rightfully go to Simon Furman. But Bob Budiansky was no slouch when it came to expanding the size of the playground he was telling stories in. The Return to Cybertron two-parter does a masterful job of introducing more characters and concepts at a time than any of the Transformers books had since issue one. And with the help of artist Don Perlin, this is done by putting them on this awesome alien Cybertron that adds depth and detail to the world you first see in issue one, but also makes sure that this is a Marvel Cybertron, for lack of better terms. Now, the bridge to nowhere's principal legacy is the introduction of the Space Bridge, uh, which would become a useful way to introduce new characters to the story. Space Bridge had been introduced in the cartoon a few months before this, but it was a ring-shaped mechanism which the Transformers would be converted to light and beamed across space between Earth and Cybertron. And that was pretty cool. But in the comics, we had an actual bridge. It was metal and huge, and characters would drive from one end of it on one planet and come out on another planet. It went through dimensions, and the dimensions it went through were these swirly Ditko-scapes that would have been right at home in a Doctor Strange comic, and it would arrive in a giant Kirby crackle, which would be right out of a Fantastic Four comic. And it was made out of the robot that designed it. Which treats us not only to this awesome bit of body horror when you see it partially transform into Spanner, but it presents Blaster with this twisted version of the trolley problem, and Blaster fails it spectacularly. And also, for me personally, this issue gives the Autobot Cosmos something to do, and that something that he does is kills and kills and kills. The little UFO bot has a body count of seven Decepticons, all of which shot in the head. I bet you had no idea how vicious that little guy could be. And Cosmos really is badass in this issue. And you can catch John and his wife Maggie on their podcast, Married with Comics. They also have a Transformers-themed podcast called The Rod Pod, where they are discussing phase two of the IDW Transformers universe. The Straxus and Blaster showdown on the bridge. Blaster uh, lures Straxus to hit the fuel line on the bridge and causes the bridge to separate. Uh, Blaster then kicks Straxus into interdimensional space, and Straxus apparently explodes. Uh, the Autobots then are trapped on the Earth side of the bridge and flee to land, where they meet up with the local Earth authorities. And those Autobots are Blaster, Perceptor, Beachcomber, Sea Spray, Cosmos, Warpath, and Power Glide, and that wraps up issue 18. So, on to issue 19. Uh, this is called Command Performances, uh, written by Bob Budiansky, pencils by Don Perlman, inks by Aiken and Garvey, their first uh, 
appearance in this series since issue four. And uh, colors once again, Nell Yomtov, letters by Janice Chang, edits by Mike Carlin, and cover by Herb Trimpey, and that cover would apply to UK 71. UK 70 features a cover by John Dillard. Stokes. I mean Stokes. And that is Prime uh, yelling at the Autobots to attack. And uh, also worth noting the direct market version of this book. Uh, I don't know if they do this anymore, but back in the day, if you bought a comic at like a grocery store or or some sort of um, a newsstand, I think it was, it was the other way, it had a barcode uh, in a little box on the left. And if you bought it at a comic shop, it had a picture in that box instead of a barcode. And this one... Uh, has the Give the Gift of Literacy uh, logo <laughs> in the middle there. And I think that's, uh, you know what, that, that one's important. Because uh, I'm going to go back and, and just uh, remember my mom for a little bit. My mom uh, always encouraged me to read comics um, when I took an interest in them because she felt she didn't care what I was reading, you know, to for the most part. Um, she was just happy that I was reading and, and comics do that. So if you have kids... And or you see kids that are reading comics, uh, definitely encourage, definitely support. So in this issue, uh, Optimus begins the issue by introducing Omega Supreme. And uh, this is the project he put Grapple on back in issue 14. Prime is a little concerned. He wants to know how to make combiners, uh, which uh, we've learned in the UK issues. Uh, and uh, it's kind of a first, though, here in the US run. And he's deciding that he is going to attack the Decepticon base with everyone except Omega Supreme and Ratchet. Uh, but he plans to call off the attack after they get the correct info on how to make combiners by observing Devastator's combination. Uh, the Dinobots are not happy with this. Uh, they just want to fight things. And so they get annoyed and they storm off. And once again, this is some... Uh, dialogue that gets changed in the UK version. Now, back in eastern Wyoming, the Decepticons build fortifications uh, where they're keeping a Robot Master. They're turning it into a base. And Megatron is getting restless. He calls in uh, the Seekers and uh, Laser Beacon Buzzsaw and Frenzy and Rumble, the blue and red ones, respectively, uh, to him. He wants to be at the Space Bridge for when the Decepticon reinforcements arrive. The Autobots, they roll into Wyoming, and uh, while they're there, Skids actually gets into a minor uh, fender bender with a Lamborghini and uh, drives away, and the driver of the Lamborghini is not happy and chases uh, the Autobots. The Autobots then use Jetfire as a distraction to the U.S. military, which is surrounding this new Decepticon base, and uh, the Autobots basically crash the gates. Uh, the Lamborghini driver also attempts to crash the gates and is stopped by the police. The Autobots then attack the Decepticon base. Megatron and, and his uh, crew aren't there during the attack, uh, but they're over where the space bridge is supposed to arrive. And they see the Autobots that have arrived uh, and are being blockaded by the human authorities and not the Decepticons. And Megatron is not happy. Then Shockwave radios them to return, but Megatron realizes that if all the Autobots are attacking the Decepticon base, that means the Ark is unguarded. So, at the Decepticon base, uh, the Constructicons form Devastator, as the Autobots had hoped, and Bumblebee records the whole thing, mission accomplished. So, 
The Autobots then retreat, and in the confusion, Robot Master Donnie Finkelberg escapes. Ravage begins looking for him. And then we cut back to the arc where the Decepticons who are attacking are greeted by Omega Supreme. And this does not work out well for the Decepticons. Omega Supreme instantly shoots down Skywarp, then vaporizes Rumble and Frenzy, the red and uh, blue ones, respectively. Uh, he crushes Starscream in his hands. He shoots uh, Laserbeak or Buzzsaw. I'm not entirely sure which one it is because of the coloring with his head cannon. Uh, he then crashes Thundercracker and then shoots Buzzsaw's wing. And that one is correctly colored. Laserbeak swoops in and saves Megatron. The two retreat. Back at the Decepticon base, the Autobots are making their exit. The angry driver, he charges at Skid, seeing him drive back. And at the same time, Ravage, out looking for the Robot Master, shoots Skids with a missile. Uh, Skids gets hit, falls into a ravine, and the Autobots, they abandon him. So once again... No matter what continuity you're in, Skids somehow gets forgotten. Megatron resumes sole command of the Decepticons, and Optimus realizes that uh, he didn't factor for humans uh, in his plan. But he has six Decepticons in, quote, cold storage, that being the three Seekers and three of the cassettes. Skids left behind and to be continued. And that will wrap up issue 19 of the Marvel U.S. comics, uh, We Need Omega Supreme. I used to keep this one on my wall as a kid because the cover is just really cool. Um, and there's a lot of uh, dead Decepticons in this one, which, again, uh, it's a bit of a contrast to the cartoon, especially since such major characters are removed from play fairly quickly in the book's run. So that'll wrap up this episode of Transformers University. You can catch me on all of the social media. Twitter at TFU underscore info. Facebook at Facebook.com slash TFU info. Instagram.com slash TFU info. got to subscribe to our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash TFU info. And, of course, if you want to be part of the Patreon, we are just seven subscribers away from hitting our first goal. And that is over at Patreon.com slash TFU info. Next time on the show, we're going back to the cartoon. We're going to start season three, but we can't start season three without first meeting the cast. So we will meet the new cast of season three next time on Transformers University. Until then, I am your host, Anthony Brickell, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. See ya.